to the very first episode of Ready, Set, Debt. You're listening to Credit Sparrow, but I also go by Ulrika Lobo from 9to5. So in this podcast series, we're going to discuss everything debt from the private lender's perspective, aka the perspective that I have best. So what do investors and borrowers want to know about this industry? Send me questions. There will be a link to my contact details. I'm happy to answer them through the series and even let you know when I'll be touching on them. So we'll keep you in the loop. But this series is meant to cover everything that investors and borrowers could possibly want to know about private debt in Australia. When to invest, when to borrow, when to expect rate rises, how do lenders price their loans and... How can you unpack all that legal jargon and terminology, especially around investment or securitization or borrowing, to make sure that you don't get burned at the end of the day? Today, we're going to talk about the RBA's forward guidance of inflation and the cash rate. And if we could have potentially predicted what's happening right now, or was it really just a shot in the dark and no one knew this was coming? I also want to add a disclaimer that nothing in this podcast is financial advice or legal advice. And if you need that specific advice for yourself, I recommend you find your financial advisor, accountant or lawyer and speak to them about whether any of the principles or topics that we're discussing may be relevant to you before acting on them. So take everything we say with a pinch of salt, knowing that we're talking quite generally. And if you do have any specific questions, you can contact me. But just make sure it's not for financial or legal advice. Without further ado, let's get started. So I was at a lunch with a lot of funders in the room. It was a party of about eight to 10 people, but they were fund managers with over $2.2 billion in collective funds under management. Well, I was quite impressed sitting there and there was a question that was passed around the room. And the question was, where do you think the cash rate or interest rates are going to be next year? One by one, each fund manager had their chance to talk and say where they thought the rates would be. Almost all of them, more than half, said that the cash rate would be the same because the RBA had promised the cash rate to remain the same until 2024. Less than half the room, a few of them, believed that there would be an increase, but it would just be 25 basis points. And when it came to my turn, I wanted to actually say it was going to be 1% more, you know, and really go gung-ho. But being one of the smaller contributors of the $2.2 billion in that room, I took a slice of humble pie and stayed quiet and conservative and respected the opinions around me without being too flamboyant. And I said it would be at 60 basis points. So even my more gutsy prediction of 1%, would have missed the mark completely, especially now that we're at 1.85. But what I want to highlight is that even the best of us, and I'm not counting myself, but everybody in that room pretty much thought that the RBA would be very conservative with raising the cash rate moving forward. And they were way off the mark with predicting where rates would be at this time. Inflation and the cash rate and interest rates, it's such a potent topic right now because of the effect on households and businesses moving forward. When Philip Lowe provided the guidance that the cash rate would stay the same for a few years until 2024, 
nobody really said how or why or what we would be doing to recover from that because I think the most crucial connection between cash rate um, and central banks' uh, mandate to stabilize inflation and the entanglement of that with the international markets for investors looking to exploit arbitrage meant that there would eventually be a drop in the Australian dollar, which would then create a situation that would require a rising of the cash rate. And when that would be was not something that could be predicted like how it was. It could not be predicted to be in two years' time because the RBA has to be reactionary as well as proactive in managing inflation. So as soon as we were going to see a tip uh, move away from a stabilised inflation target, that meant that the RBA would change their cash rate, plain and simple. It seemed like the RBA cared about certain things because they mentioned, you know, household savings ratios, they mentioned unemployment. Most of us assumed that because the RBA was keeping a tab on all these metrics, that they were interested and that's where their interests lay in helping the economy fulfill those metrics to move towards economic growth. But when you think about it and you really go back into the mandate of the RBA, their whole concern is just inflation and we should have been able to see through it from the start. But then there's the question, why didn't we as a collective see through it, including the banks? And I think it's because it was a good news story. Who doesn't like a low cash rate environment? Everybody loves it. I know the banks were struggling with it initially, but it, it, it helped them onboard so many more clients that could now service loans, which were not able to access the property market before. And with APRA reducing their serviceability ratio as well, this just created a whole new bunch of business for the banks. Government was also supporting property values and uh, the stabilization of the property market. So I think that that also was you know, a good news story that just all tied in all around. Nobody wanted to question why we're getting all these great things. It was just that, you know, the RBA know what they're doing. We just hope they've got a great plan to get us out of this mess. Now, due to the entanglement of central banks and international monetary markets, there is absolutely no way the RBA could have promised to keep a cash rate stable for as long as a few years. This is because there are constant movements and fluctuations daily, weekly, monthly that the IBA need to keep tabs up and respond to. And I think the reason that they were so focused on metrics um, was because they knew that they would be raising the cash rate and they wanted to make sure that the Australian economy could buffer this when it happened. Um, inflation was inevitable and it was on the horizon from, I think, 2019. You know, so much quantitative easing is just not sustainable without inflation. I think when Philip Lowe offered guidance on the stability of the cash rate until 2024, stating that he would leave it at 25 basis points, we just believed it and leaned into this form of relief in times of uncertainty. We wanted to believe it was possible without asking how we could recover from the downstream effects of making money cheaper than it should be. Cross-referencing... The earlier story I was telling you about the funders lunch, nobody saw it coming. Everybody, despite knowing the theory of economic relationships, despite knowing the interrelationship and the entanglement of the cash rate, interest rate, foreign investment, capital movement and currency movements, everybody believed that the cash rate could remain the same for that as long as it did. And it's quite shocking, to be honest. Now that the RBA is acting in a way that it is, everybody is seeing all the flags that were there all along. 
And I don't know if I want to call them red flags per se, just because I can see that the RBA used its power and its goodwill to incentivize businesses to keep their wage growth low, to keep their goods and services prices low, to renegotiate contracts for long term without anticipating huge inflation, which meant that the Australian economy could buffer some of the impacts of inflation almost invisibly. So you'd feel it, but it would be a little invisible because the low wage growth would be dampening the effect of inflation by keeping cost inputs low for businesses and keeping the price of goods and services to the market relatively stable. There were a lot of first home owners as well. People don't like losing their property and they will fight tooth and nail to keep it, which means dipping into your household savings to make sure you don't lose that property. That's why Philip Lowe was also concerned with unemployment rates because we've had one of the lowest unemployment rates right now which means that people are working and then there's more money in circulation for the economy to function. Even though Philip Lowe is mentioning that, you know, we're targeting an inflation rate of 3.5%, there's also an irrefutable relationship between CPI and inflation. And there seems to be a little disconnect with it. So I've still got my student loans and I had a look at my account statement. So far, you know, the the rate at which I've been charged interest for my help debt has been, you know, 0.6% per annum, 0.8% per annum, thereabouts. And my most recent amount is 3.9%. Keep in mind, that's a huge sudden jump. And I didn't receive any notification or communication that there would be this huge increase. So my base level payment, which used to be about $200 to $300 a year worth of interest adding onto my total has now become $1,300 approximately worth of interest that's adding onto my balance. And that's crazy. I always thought that that rate was matched to the CPI. So I'm thinking if the CPI is already 3.9%, but we've been advised that inflation is only going to be up to 3.5%, then I'm still a little worried because we're still seeing more forward guidance to manipulate our impression of where inflation is going to be moving forward as there seems to be a mismatch between CPI and inflation. So there's a great analogy about chess pieces um, on our article that you can have a look at and an infographic there that shows you the effect of expectations of a high inflation environment and a low inflation environment. Essentially, the RBA and the economy are locked in an eternal battle of a delicate game of chess. No one can win. But growth is the king of the economy. That's what the economy is trying to protect. And inflation is the king of the RBA, which is what the RBA is trying to protect and stabilize. They have to play the game just right to make sure that neither kill the other. And there's an irrefutable and inevitable relationship between inflation, interest rates, and currency. We have forward guidance as the RBA's queen and international markets as the economy's queen. We see APRA as another tool, so we'll call it the RBA's rook, uh, especially because they were influenced sufficiently enough and utilized by the RBA to reduce serviceability. And then we see government stimulus as the economy's rook. So government stimulus is meant to help support the economy as well when dealing with uncertain times. The banks are the RBA's pawns and the consumers are the economy's pawns. So as much as 
It's not pleasant to think of ourselves as pawns in the system. We are essentially all working together to make sure that there is some balance in the economy. And the RBA is doing the same, but just on a different level and making sure that we remain stable domestically and internationally. Both players are striving towards equilibrium, acting in equal and opposite ways to achieve this. As the RBA used the banks as their instrument for their monetary policy, they did leave the rest of their arsenal and policy goals vulnerable. So by unleashing the banks in this low cash rate environment, it spurred high spending on business investment, greater household consumption and accelerated house prices through the surplus of cheap fixed rate mortgages. We're going to see the market start to struggle a bit more as well come 2024 when these fixed rate terms are going to end. So it's interesting the effect and the long-term effect and the delayed effect of things that are happening now and how that will impact the market in two to three years because of these cheap fixed rate mortgages. Keeping that cash rate artificially low for that long was definitely going to impact the Australian dollar first as international markets sought to exploit any arbitrage. Now the RBA is basically holding the economy to ransom to saying you fixed the problem that I created by keeping the cash rate low for so long. Now I've also seen that there's been a review instigated into the RBA's decision and the RBA is choosing to describe its decision of keeping the cash rate low as insurance. And this frames the decision as a safe option when you call it insurance. Despite the fact that the RBA were quantitative easings before uh, the impact of COVID and uncertain times, so they've been easing since 2019. And it can be argued that sometimes the safe option is not necessarily the best option. And whether that was obvious at the beginning of COVID is, I guess, really what remains to be seen. We can only hope that the RBA still has some tools up its sleeve on how they're going to balance this. But essentially, it seems that they're going to count on low wage growth and the fact that people aren't going to be paid what they should be paid to buffer some of the inflationary impacts as well as expecting people to dig deep and dip into their household savings to maintain their mortgages and keep the bank cash flow and bank mortgage book stable, further stabilizing the property market. There is still another player hanging in the shadows as well, and that's the ATO. The ATO is well known as the biggest creditor business because they haven't been collecting on tax debts that have accrued in this time. And with the moratorium on bankruptcy, we're going to see a different kind of environment moving forward. The ATO will start to recover the loans. And as soon as they start doing that, we're going to see a rise in bankruptcy, a drop in business sentiment and a rise in the strain on cash flow to enter into payment plans to pay off these great tax debts for companies that will not be made bankrupt. Cash has always been king, but moving forward, especially for the private lending industry, cash flow is going to be king looking at serviceability, making sure that there is a solid exit strategy based on cash flow, based on serviceability is going to be where the market is headed. We've seen a lot of asset lending type deals in private industries where you capitalize the interest into the loan term. This is well and good for assets that are looking to be put onto the market because then you've got a solid exit strategy. However, for assets that are looking to refinance, based on where asset values will be next year, capitalizing interest into the facility may be a gambit not worth the risk. 
just because at the end of the day, you want to make sure that your borrower can maintain the pressures of a loan facility with you and they can continue to make repayments without struggling or without undue stress. I'm going to end our little commentary here and you can read more about it on our article online. We will link for you to access easily. So I've been Ulrika Lobo. I'm the director of Sparrow Loans, a private lender in Sydney. I'm also interested in stories from introducers and referrers, um, borrowers and investors on what your best experience and worst experience or most crazy experience in private debt has been. If you've got a great story, please email me at ulrika at sparrowloans.com.au. I would love to have you on the series and talking about it. I think everybody has that story that defied every bit of logic or that was just so well orchestrated that you were amazed at how it all worked out or how it didn't, which is a little bit more juicy. Thank you for listening to our very first podcast of Ready, Set, Debt. It can only get better from here, so bear with us. Our next podcast is going to be about energy prices and how fun that has been for us. So stay tuned. I will put a post out when it's ready to listen to and I hope that you will tune in next time. Until then, see if you can think of your best, craziest private lending story and email it to me. Take care.